Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. Curse me, Rose. Run for your life. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you happen to be. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join us for Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. Almost everyone has heard of Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency that's currently being traded for thousands of dollars online, but not everyone may be familiar with the platform Bitcoin is based on, blockchain technology. While blockchain technology powers a number of different cryptocurrencies online, we wanted to know exactly how this tech could be extended into other areas. We sat down with Bradley Mitri from Vortex Capital Partners to chat about the blockchain, what it is, how it works, and how it can be used in some incredible ways, like combining it with power production to make money for, well, for free. We passed this podcast over to the diva for her rating. Franku, what did the diva have to say? The Diva has enjoyed this podcast and rates it completely salt-free. Thanks very much to Franku and The Diva for that rating. But for now, without any further ado, please join me, Les Allen, as we discuss blockchain technology geekery with Bradley Mitri. And now we're releasing the geek. Well, would you define yourself as a geek? Beyond a shadow of a doubt. Really? Yeah. What are you geeky about? Uh, everything te technologically orientated, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, so you're a tech geek? Beyond a shadow of a doubt. I mean, I literally mm -hmm. have the bleeding edge, state-of-the-art, most powerful graphics card that exists in this country in my computer at home right now. You want to brag? I do, I badly want to brag. Yeah, it's, it's, an, it's, an, uh, it's one of the Gigabyte's better cards. It's yeah. the 1080 Ti Extreme. Aha. Uh -huh. And it's it's really is worth every ounce of praise. I'm going to let the Gigabyte brand manager know <laughs> that, uh, that, that you're waving the flag, right? Uh, yeah, you know, for sure, absolutely. Um, well, there's a bit of a story about registering for the four-year warranty. Maybe you can help me out with that. But no. Uh, <laughs> um, very, very nice card. Be honest, Not a problem. I'm happy to forward an email on. St State-of-the-art equipment in general, mm -hmm. um, virtual reality, just about every technology that's out there. I know enough about it, I would say, to consider myself, you know, an amateur. At, Where at did the very it start? Least. Um, it started on my, my uh, father's <laughs> XT, as, XT it, as it does, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, back in the XT days, there weren't that too many games, and if yeah. you wanted to navigate a computer, you had to learn DOS. Yes. And um, I very quickly learned how to get to PGA Tour 1994, I think it was, <laughs> um, and had to guess the, we didn't have the manual for the game, I, I doubt it was a licensed copy. Right. Um, and uh, you had to answer a, quite a little bit of a cipher. You had to find the part in the, in the book, the manual that the game came with that had a specific word in a specific line. I love it. And um, I could never get it right. So I just guessed that one of the words would be golf. At and some it has point, to be. At some point it has to be golf. <laughs> So I would sit there for 27 or 30 odd tries and eventually the little database dictionary would run out of options and it would get to golf and I'd be able to get into the game. So it didn't actually have a after three tries where you no, have to restart? No. Wow. No, I know, it was one of the first, it was, I mean, I was playing on, a, on, a, on an orange and black screen. Oh, monochrome, mono, oh, yeah, monochrome. Yeah, I mean, it was really hardcore. I mean, yeah. I, I don't even know how many megs that drive must have been, but I'm sure it was badass in its day. A mighty four meg. It was so huge, yeah, with 640 <laughs> kilobytes of memory um, and it was definitely outclassing anything else at that stage. Oh, really? So, I mean, yeah, it was that. Was your dad a tech guy? No, no, he just, I think he loved toys and, and, and sort of uh, anything that was gimmicky. So yeah, if, he, okay. if he could get, you know, whatever little tech toy there was, he'd be into it. And sure. Logical next step was computers. And his, uh, 
young six-year-old son had a, <laughs> had, a, had a big interest in gaming in general gotcha. at that stage. So okay. that's how I got so into it. So then it became your computer. Pretty much. Actually, mm-hmm. I was not allowed to have a computer until I was in my teenage years. Um, I was actually, and there's a good reason for this, although, you know, <laughs> it, it really, it, it comes down to wondering what's on the back of the computer, mm-hmm. the filtration, power filtration switch did. Oh, right. So I switched it from 220 oh, volts to no. 110. And then just, you know, uh-huh. assumed that it was from lightning damage um, <laughs> and the resulting explosion and marks on the wall were, you know, beyond anyone's ability to troubleshoot except mine. Um, and so from there, I was quite convinced that maybe I did need a bit more time before mm-hmm. I and my, and my first computer, personal computer, was yeah. a, a 486 yeah. DX400. And it was like my pride and joy. And I even upgraded the RAM to 4 megs. Yeah. It was very, very cool. My, my, my 486 ran... XCOM yeah. and oh. that was it was the good old days. Yeah. Eye of the Beholder. Oh, really great game. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, we actually did a podcast with um, with some guys from the United States, a literate gamer. And the topic for that conversation was the old gold box yeah. series of D D games. Sure. No, they were great. I mean, yeah. we had to get a walkthrough to get through it, and some of the files mm. had corrupted, so ah. we could only. One of the bad guys looked like a mixture of all the other bad guys because it pulled whatever <laughs> files it could. Uh, That's but, fantastic. Uh, it, was, it was was great. No, That's loved awesome. it. Loved it. Loved it. So, did you decide that? Was there a particular point where you decided you want to make tech your life? Yes. Yeah. I was around fourteen. Yeah. And my very concerned mother had to listen to her, her teenage um, sort of. Early, ad, early adulthood sort of child, yeah. you know, going to great lengths to explain to her that he wanted to leave high school um, and go and work in the tech industry. I mean, it was just, I was good at it. I wanted to start now. And I said, like, there's no point in me finishing high school, honestly. And she was insistent. So, Were you one of these guys who managed to get, a, like, a Rectron account and start building PCs for people at school? You know, I didn't. At that, uh, I, did, I didn't have a Rectron account then, but I used to buy from other suppliers, right. so local people. And I had quite a good thing going in the second-hand computer industry at that point. So I used to, and I mean, a lot of people know this story, but Uh there's a a rubbish dump in Bryanston. Right. They literally throw away, you can think mostly garden refuse and stuff like that. But back in those days, and we must be talking 96, 97, I think, um, I would uh, go there and pay the the guys that collected all the rubbish to keep all the computing equipment. Right. 10 rand a week was the going rate, and they would keep everything that they found that looked like it was computing-related. I would take it back to my house, open it up, scored. clean it up, and sell it for... And check everything. Yeah, and it worked. And I mean, I made an absolute fortune. All right. What was the, what was the biggest find? What was your, big, what was your biggest Oh, find? it was a screen. It was yeah. a, a full-color screen, not a 256 color. It was a 16 right. million, proper, honestly, a decent monitor in those right. days. A big um, old fat CRT. It was a CRT, yeah. yeah, yeah. I can't remember the size. I'm sure it was a 14-inch or sure. something. It was gigantic by that day's standards. Um, and uh, I it just had, I'm remembering a 14 inch screen. It was huge. And then we, we had to take, um, in, when I opened it up, I, I very quickly learned about discharging the CRT itself. <laughs> so so um, <laughs> another, okay. it was a bit of a fright that I have to admit and, and potentially lethal, but it was, it was really a good, good lesson. Right. Um, and there was one cable, literally. It was like mm. as ridiculous as this one little red cable inside mm. there, not connected to the PCB like it should have been. Mm. So I did. I did a little bit of soldering and it was good to go. And I sold it on for, I think, at that, in those days, for like one and a half grand, I think, and it was just probably huge money for. <laughs> I, just, I mean, like fifty bucks was that a lot of money, awesome. and it was really great. Mum forces you to finish high school. Yeah, well done, mum. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, it was a good thing. Gun to the head stuff. <laughs> where, where did you? Okay, I, I, I need to finish high school. 
Were you thinking qualifications? Were you thinking varsity? What happened from there? Absolutely. So I was very interested in pursuing um, some sort of varsity education, but I was mm-hmm. very interested specifically in getting into Microsoft's framework. Right. Bill Gates was a recent multimillionaire. Um, I don't think he was a billionaire yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I had used Microsoft. I was a fanboy of Microsoft. I, I actually started off with an AMD chip, so I loved Intel. Um, I was very jealous of everyone who had an Intel chip. Right. Um, the, the, the long story there was that, you know, I, I could see Microsoft as sort of the de facto business you know, machine. And yeah. I also had watched IBM and ICL sort of go, okay. go the way of the dinosaur by trying to control their markets. And Microsoft had allowed people to, you know, have hardware agnostic, you know, software. So you could mm-hmm. have many different hardware sets running with one operating system. It was great. So there right. was OS2 Warp, I think it was back yeah. then, that wasn't that great. Um, so I decided I would do an MCSE mm-hmm. and I wanted to get, you know, very to grips with Microsoft. So I did an MCSE. Oh, were you one of those people who actually knew what they were doing with their MCSE. Oh, no, I didn't. I mean, I still, I, I still to this day, I mean, it was like it was NT4. I mean, sure. it, it was really yeah. like proper, like there was nothing, like no Active gotcha. Directory. There was, right. it was really so little. It, it was more around the people who could uh, buy a four dummies book yeah. and sit the exam a couple of days later. Absolutely. But you, sure. were actually, you actually knew what you were doing. I mean, I, I, did, I did an A+, plus, N+, plus, and mm-hmm. an MCSE, which was sort of the de facto Microsoft general. That's the combat. Yeah, what you would do. Sure. Um, and I, not that I used any of it, to be fair. Mm-hmm. And I, what I started doing immediately after that was, was doing exactly what I'd been telling my mother for four years I wanted to do. Right. Um, and I got my first clients. I, I learned mm-hmm. how to cold call quite quickly. You started consulting. Consulting immediately. I started a small managed services business. Yeah. And picked up a few clients oh, and sure. started from there. And a couple of my friends wow. and I put it together. Yeah, that's very cool. What was the name of the company? It was called OutTech for Outsource Technology. Yes, cool. Um, we had it running for about seven years, and mm-hmm. it went through a number of evolutions from there. And actually, part of that business still runs today in the core of companies that we look after at the moment. All right, cool. So we still have a management managed services company, <laughs> and believe it or not, it's one of the better businesses for sure. That's very cool. That's very cool. All right. So the entrepreneurial spirit then yeah. came on really easily. You knew what you wanted to do. You got into it. One of the things that um, is really good about South Africa from a, from a business perspective is it tends to be very low barriers to entry. If you sure. want to start a business, then just start. Get out, graft, and, and do your thing. Sure. Now, the time that you were doing this, we're talking, what, early 2000s? Yeah, 2000s? yeah. just as the tech bubble burst. Oh, ouch. Right. Yeah, the dimension okay. data shares were collapsing. Yeah. There, was a, there was a huge oversupply of, of, of human resources available mm-hmm. with tech skills, right. experience skills. And mm-hmm. I mean, I think that was when I learned probably the most valuable lesson that I hold dear today. Yeah. And that is that, you know, even in a market that is extremely adverse and nobody in their right mind would get into, um, if you are prepared to put the effort and time into it, you will be successful. There's an opportunity. There is there is an, always an opportunity for someone who's prepared to do it better, harder and faster and mm-hmm. potentially cheaper if necessary sure. than the next person. Right. A lot of people defeat themselves before they even get out of bed in the morning. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to the news. Follow yeah. your passion and go with it and you'll find mm-hmm. the gap. I think Zig Ziglar said uh, that it doesn't matter whether the economy is good or the economy is bad, somebody's making money. Absolutely. And so that means it doesn't really matter about the economy. No, and it's true. I mean, some of our clients are debt collectors, so, so we, <laughs> we, we absolutely see that in, in, in sort of, you know, full color. Seeing you rugged up over there, I really feel terrible. Do we, do we need to get you a blanket or something? Are you okay? All right, Hey, I like that. That's very cool. It's quite topical now to discuss blockchain, because yeah. considering the news out of the weekend, 
that uh, the news over the weekend that Bitcoin has cracked, what, $2,000? It has indeed. Yeah. When did you first start getting ex exposure to blockchain tech? And we, we're going to differentiate that this is not a Bitcoin podcast. This is a blockchain podcast. Sure. Yeah. I would say it was in around 2010. Okay. Um, I had heard about through various forums that I was a member of and sure. I'm still a member of. Yep. Um, you know, this whole idea of cryptocurrency mining. Okay. And being the entrepreneurial guy that I am, I thought, well, you know, this is a good idea. I mean, mm -hmm. you can use a graphics card. I understand graphics cards. Mm -hmm. um, I can use a CPU. Yeah. Brilliant. There's lots of excess computer, computational power lying around in all of my clients' offices. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe I can turn some electricity into a coin. You were networking the excess from your car. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, no, that was the idea. Okay, right, gotcha. I, 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 after looking at it, I thought to myself, you know, firstly, there were two things that happened and right. I didn't actually get into mining then, although obviously today I, sure. could, I could certainly kick myself. Yeah. Um, I, there was, there was, I have a deep love for 3D graphics cards uh -huh. and, and their rendering pipelines and their massively parallel computational power. Sure. Um, and I just couldn't bring you myself. such a geek. Yeah, this, this, is, this is great. It's just, just too much, no, sure. So. I didn't have the, the energy or the, or the heart to commit something as, as well-designed as an NVIDIA GTX-class CPU to the process of, you know, rudimentary... Are you, are you saying it would sully? It, was, it would, it would sully the no, purpose of the of, no, I mean, it's, it's made for rendering. It's not for, <laughs> not, not for massively parallel processing, in my sure. opinion. Uh -huh. So I just couldn't do it. So, and, and that was largely what it was. And I'd read right. stories where guys had burnt out their ATI at that stage. Um, GPUs in the process. Really? And yeah, some of the capacitors. I mean, you oh. work those cards. I think the GTX 480 might have been the card of the day. I can't remember. Okay. But it was a very hot running NVIDIA sure. card. And it was it was something that people had jokes online mm -hmm. where they were cooking eggs on these cards. So, I mean, it was like there was, aside from the obvious electricity cost, right. there was also the hardware damage. Sure. So I decided, you know what, it's okay, I'll give it a bit of time and see uh -huh. what happened. But the idea was born then. Mm -hmm. And I had then downloaded the various clients which were extremely unattractive and difficult to use. Like what? Well, like, like take Bitcoin as a good example. Mm -hmm. I yep. mean, it was very difficult to synchronize with the blockchain and right. join a pool. It wasn't How? a straightforward okay. process. You're now starting to explore crypto, exploring blockchain as technology. Yeah. This is now bleeding edge, cutting edge. Where was the, I mean, and people are talking about it on forums, you mentioned that. Was there a lot of supporting information? Was it easy to understand or did you have to, you really have to dig to understand what was going on and to understand the concepts here? Um, I don't think it was particularly difficult for someone who was exposed to database architecture. Sure. Okay. So I, I imagine that the, the technical intellectual requirements or experience, should I say, okay. was pretty high in those days. Right. Um, and it did take me a good few days to get to grips with exactly what a Bitcoin was and how to mine it. Sure. Um, okay. You know, I think it could take other people certainly a lot longer who didn't have an, a working understanding of how database transactions occur. Right. Um, and basic cryptography. But really, it wasn't that hard. But when you actually downloaded the, the software itself and you wanted to join a mining pool and you sort of, you were not, I'll tell you what was, was missing in those days, was yeah. the, the sense of reassurance that what you were doing would actually equal something. Gotcha. I mean, it was very, at that stage, folding at home was very big. Mm -hmm. So everyone was using excess power from their GPUs to try and, you know, solve protein synthesis yeah. um, equations, mm -hmm. including me. Um, and uh, even that was a bit much for my GPU. Yeah. You know, and the, precursor, the precursor to that was stuff like the SETI program. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was Princeton that we're doing folding at home, I believe. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I can't, of course, Stanford. I can't remember which one, but it was a very good idea, and I loved the one idea. of the ones with money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, no, and you're absolutely gigantic budget. But yeah. so it, this was a natural. So you could either do folding at home, or you could do mining at home. Those are mm -hmm. sort of the if you wanted to take advantage of your your computational power in its right. idle state, you could do it for the good of humanity, or you could do it to line your pockets. I was torn between the two, mm -hmm. um, so I ended up going with the folding option. You ultimately, to line the pockets of humanity. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, but but nevertheless, so Bitcoin yeah. was a thing then, but it yeah. wasn't, and cryptocurrency was a thing then. But and the blockchain had been explained to me then, mm -hmm. but um, well, I read enough about it to understand it. But it wasn't that attractive. Sure. Um, and coming from a managed services environment, so, you know, having servers that were centralized made a lot more sense to me, right? Because as a technical resource. You only want one place that you need to do all your work. Yeah. There's no point in trying to now worry about NoSQL transactions. Um, so I wasn't sure if it would take mm -hmm. off or, and, and folding at home hadn't exactly taken off either. Gotcha. Um, mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was where it all started, certainly. It was, it was a benevolent choice. Yes, sure. It was, a, it was a benevolent choice. Where did things change for you then? What did you decide you wanted to do? Um, when, when did things change that you wanted to start getting more involved in blockchain tech? There were a couple of things. I was, uh, you know, as a relatively well-known, in the corporate world anyway, sure. um, as, a, as someone who can consult on technical issues mm -hmm. or, um, you know, could solve problems on servers and sure. large-scale architectures. Um, where it really sort of changed is a few guys that I'd been doing business with approached me for the role of heading up a company that was going to, you know, drastically change the world with this blockchain technology. And they sort of said to me, you know, these are the opportunities that blockchain really... Um, How long ago was this? Uh, over a year, more, okay. even more than that, yeah. Okay. Um, so it's been going on for a long time, but blockchain wasn't a big part of, mm -hmm. of my portfolio, if I can call it that, of things that I look after. Sure. Up until then. So I was approached, there was money behind the approach. Um, there was a, well, a lot of external investment. It wasn't investment from South African sources. It was, you know, really huge zeros at the end of it sure. to take this new blockchain technology to the next level. Okay. During the inception of that business, I learned a lot about point of sale mm -hmm. and other, other things that I wasn't, you know, one, one of the things that you don't learn in corporate world is how a point of sale device really works. It wasn't complicated. I mean, I'd worked on some of Micros's stuff over the years, but, mm -hmm. but I'd never really like thought about, you know, a cloud-based point of sale that mm -hmm. could do seamless advertising. And part of what I was doing then was also around Fiber 2 corporates. Right. Um, we were working with Dark Fiber Africa and a few, okay. other, DFM, yep. a few other guys out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the idea was to bring internet connectivity and all of the opportunities that it presents to lower LSM areas whilst Fiber to the Home was also being rolled out. Sure. And natural, or naturally what I looked for was, okay, I'm doing this. What layer three services could I bolt on top of that? And obviously what was a very easy thing to see was like online stores, um, you know, advertising, free mm -hmm. Wi-Fi, and the list goes on. There are a number sure. of layer three services that you can bolt on. But one of the ones that I'd always been interested in was how you would process payments differently because I'd always been fascinated about how, you know, MasterCard and Visa have this little device in a mm -hmm. shop that seemingly uses GPRS to communicate, you know, and it achieves a transaction. So there must have been yeah. something happening. Mm -hmm. um, but once again, it was centralized. So, so, so the idea of communication as the underpinning point of the transaction, okay? Absolutely. Well, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, you know, there's so many things that the internet could bring to people. Right. Um, that's, I mean, aside from the very obvious one, just being a lot of information, mm -hmm. um, it was 
better health, better understanding, better education. It was sure. video on demand services. It was, you know, the, the logical next step from the initial sort of internet boom yep. was, you know, what services can actually run on an internet protocol. And right. payment was an easy one to see a fit for. Mm-hmm. I had watched a video um, at that stage of the United Airlines CEO. Mm-hmm. I think it's United Airlines. It was the American, one of the American airlines. And he was saying that what he looked for when he was thinking about what industries he wanted to get into was to seek highly capitalized markets. Right. So anyone who's got a lot of money, if you're in front of where the money is, mm-hmm. you have to, and you are in the mood or are the kind of person that can innovate, yeah. um, you would naturally be positioning yourself well. And I thought this was brilliant advice. So the money. I sort of followed the idea of, mm-hmm. okay, so where is all the money being invested now and what mm-hmm. can we do to change things and right. in a meaningful way? So. I didn't just want to be chasing money. I mean, there are a number of things that one can do to if you just want to make cash. I wanted to be able to earn an income and also have a benevolence mm-hmm. angle to it. And this was that Benevolent self-interest. Yeah, sure. And um, this, was, this was the strategy I chose to pursue. And I think it exploded from there. And all of mm-hmm. a sudden, once you get known as someone that is in the blockchain space or mm-hmm. has been, you know, putting together huge fintech deals between massive corporates that we're not allowed to talk about. Um, all of a sudden, you know, you have this, this great position where people are mm-hmm. saying to you, what do you know about mining? What do you know about trading? What do you sure. know about using blockchain for other services? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was, it was nice for me to be in that position, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And that's really what, what birthed this whole endeavor mm-hmm. and initiative. Vancouver has a thriving angel investor blockchain tech scene. Sure. Has been for probably when are we? Twenty seventeen, probably for at least three or four years. There've been there's been a lot of money going around. If you've got a blockchain tech idea, Vancouver is one of the one of the cutting edge places to be able to do this. People automatically assume blockchain. Well, this is Bitcoin, so yeah. it's currency. So a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about is a the prevalence of blockchain tech in South Africa. And then to start illuminating people as to the other applications for blockchain tech, because there's there's, uh, there's financial. Well, there's other financials from like a stock market type system. So maybe we start with where is blockchain tech acceptance in South Africa? It's an excellent question. Um, oh, and thank I, you. <laughs> that's, that's very kind. <laughs> I, I, I think, and, and it, it really it highlights a great point. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that I suppose is one of the biggest things that, that, that bugs me when I do talk to people that are talking mm-hmm. about blockchain is that they automatically assume that blockchain is a financial, financially orientated mm-hmm. technology, and it isn't. Yeah. It is simply a massive decentralized database mm-hmm. taking advantage of, of very widely spread hardware sets. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, yes, it works. Cryptocurrency is one product that can run on a blockchain, but there mm-hmm. are a huge amount of applications for blockchain. Do you, have, do you have your elevator pitch to explain blockchain tech? You've, you've got, let's hear, the, let's hear the elevator explanation. Blockchain tech in 30 seconds or... It's really straightforward. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So in, in a nutshell, and this is definitely not intended for the more technically orientated. Yeah, don't send, don't, no trolls. Imagine, therefore, that the blockchain mm-hmm. is an Excel spreadsheet mm-hmm. stored on many computers mm-hmm. with one query existing mm-hmm. for all of them. 
So if I wanted to draw information about mm -hmm. this Excel spreadsheet, I would pull it from multiple sources. Sure. Now, it's, it's really this, imagine rows 1 to 10 on the Excel spreadsheet being saved on one computer and rows 10 to 20 being saved on another computer, mm -hmm. but each computer being aware of each other's rows. Sure. So it is a, in, in a nutshell, and I mean, I suppose it's, it's I've, I've been criticized over the years for going into too much depth about this. Okay. Um, but the reality is it is just a huge shared database mm -hmm. that is capable of being queried accurately and securely mm -hmm. by having consensus with one or two of its nodes. Now, I've said two words there that I think we should quickly explain. Sure. Consensus, meaning that you've got more than one person saying, yes, this is a valid transaction. Okay. So you need a, need a voting system in a blockchain, and blockchain has this. Okay. Um, although there are different rules depending on the chains. Um, and you need, uh, what did I mention, consensus and, and nodes. Yes, thank you. So nodes, primary. No, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, it's an audio podcast, so we need we need to explain who you're with. Yeah, yeah. No, sure. <laughs> please go ahead. Uh, so, would you like me to explain? Yes, please. Yeah, sure. All right. So, I'm sitting in the room with uh, Polina Kapichnikova. Mm -hmm. She works with me in Vortex Equity. See, Polina is currently vetting everything. Yes, she is. Says, but she's sitting there silently judging, and she's also wrapped in a shawl. So, I'm, occasionally, I'm not sure if you're just like falling asleep. Yeah, or yeah, or just trying to be warm. Just yeah. trying to be warm. It's the initial I'm phases really of hypothermia. <laughs> we're, we're at the boardroom of the Nexus and it's freezing right now. So I do apologize for that. No, that's fine. That's all right, cool. But uh, it's good to know that you're going to be vetted at all. Yeah, she, no. so. she is monitoring. Cool. All right. Absolutely. Yeah, no, sure. You're going to have to get a bit closer. Yeah. Um, depends on how long your legs are. That's fine. Um, all right, so we had consensus and we have notes. So yes. consensus, there's an agreement because uh, because it's spread across so many computers, they all have a bit of the information. They can all verify. They yes. can all contribute to the verification. Nodes. Yeah. You're going to explain. Right. So nodes are computers that have a copy of or comprehensive copy of mm -hmm. the blockchain on them. Mm -hmm. So in other in other words, they've all got a copy of the fundamental information that they need to verify other nodes. Right. So it's difficult. It's difficult okay. to explain to someone that's not looking at a drawing that I'm trying to construct in my head here. Mm -hmm. But the, the the bottom line is that if you've got three computers on a blockchain, all three will have information that is easily identifiable to any of them. Like a DNS server type thing. Exactly, so it's, it's a, hierarchical, a hierarchical approach mm -hmm. so that everyone has this. I mean, if you actually look at the database design itself, mm -hmm. each portion of the database has a almost checksum of the previous database table set. Okay. So they, if it, you don't have to go and query the previous table in detail to determine whether or not this transaction is valid. Sure. You can just check the checksum. Which gotcha. is, checksum is also a thing to explain, I suppose. Um, but the reality is... If we, we can do that quickly, that's fine. So, well, it's just an answer to the, sure. to the, to the equation. So I suppose, yeah. you know, the checksum, if you have 1 plus 1 equaling 2, yeah. um, if you know that the answer is 2 for the previous table, all you need to know is the answer is 2. Is, yeah. So if you perform a checksum on the previous table and it all returns 3, you know something is wrong. Mm -hmm. In which case you can do a more in-depth unpacking of the gotcha. other part of the table. So it's sure. just a data verification process. That's in a really simplified way. But, oh, that's fine. But, but the reality is that, that this system Unless works... we could get into checksum verifications through primes. No, yeah, no, no, sure. That's another podcast. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, so blockchain really is a huge distributed ledger. That's probably the, the word that you hear most. Right. It's a distributed ledger that everybody has access to. And if you need to, and this is when people also talk about commoditizing trust, 
Um, if you need to verify a transaction, each node or each computer storing a copy of the blockchain mm -hmm. have to agree that this transaction is valid. Right. So sometimes if you transfer any, a cryptocurrency or anything, any piece of information that you want to verify on the blockchain, mm -hmm. it will take a lot longer than other times, depending on how many nodes were available to, to agree sure. that the transaction is valid. I, I have a question. I've already proposed a couple of questions, but now I've got a, kind of got a side question that I want to ask. One of the things, one of the potential failings around Bitcoin is the processing ability, the sheer number of transactions that can be processed. So the idea of multiple nodes are established that can all be verified against one another. The process of verifying a transaction is going to depend on the resources that are available sure. to process that transaction. Is that a key failing? Would you agree that's a key failing for, for something like Bitcoin? Absolutely. Okay. So let me just take the opportunity to discuss this. Sure. Bitcoin is the probably most widely accepted and if I can call it the poster boy for, mm -hmm. yes. for cryptocurrencies. The, the coin wasn't designed with modern transaction techniques in mind. Right. As a result, it's the data blocks are big. Mm -hmm. um, the biggest requirement that you have for being a node is you need an internet connection capable of 400 gig gigabytes in data transactions per month. Right. So, I mean, it's huge. A lot of people that have got a four meg ADSL line are going to struggle to handle that, you know. Yeah. So, but, but, but the idea yeah. is there. So you need this huge amount of data really sure. to, to, to con keep con communicating. And coming back to Bitcoin in particular, and it's less desirable position market-wise mm -hmm. sure. is that it is quite slow to achieve a transaction in, on, if you're sending Bitcoin from one person to another mm -hmm. can take anywhere from 30 seconds to 5 minutes that long? and in some cases longer yeah absolutely Okay. it really depends they've, they've introduced as of the 26th of May mm -hmm. a dynamic transaction fee which is designed to charge you based on how busy the servers are the sad thing there is that uh, you don't know how busy the servers are, so you yeah. don't know how much you're going to pay. It is, it is, a, it that is. That sucks. It, it really does. Yeah. That being said, there are other companies like Dash. Dash mm -hmm. is an evolution of Bitcoin, mm -hmm. um, and it actually stands for digital cash, mm -hmm. where they have specifically worked tirelessly for quite a long time now to reduce the transaction times drastically and make a Bitcoin-based coin mm -hmm. um, far more transactable for people out there at the moment and they're one of the coins that we watch quite closely sure um, they've, they, they have a number of unique models in them it's an entirely democratically run business mm -hmm. um, if anyone wants to go and have a look at Dash there are a number of YouTube videos by a very nice uh, brunette lady that has a lot of lot to say about Dash um, and uh, the bottom line there is that you know these guys have I wish I could remember her name now but um <coughs> These guys have really put together a business that has a unique business model built into it. And what I mean by that is if you consider mining a Bitcoin, you're mm -hmm. looking to get 100% or close to as the value when you mine one Bitcoin. And right. what I'm talking about is how long it takes to manufacture one of these coins on your computer. Mm -hmm. Dash, on the other hand, have a slightly different model in that when you mine one Dash, 10% of that coin's value gets given to the treasury, which is the Dash sure. treasury. Mm -hmm. 45% of that coin goes to the node, yep. or to the nodes anyway. So if you're just a node on the network, you get paid to be a node. Mm -hmm. um, and the other 45% is your Dash. It does encourage 
more people to be nodes. Exactly. The more nodes, the faster the transactions. Exactly, exactly, right. exactly. And this is a stroke of genius in my opinion because you're making everybody benefit from the process of, of running a cryptographic network mm-hmm. and allowing a cryptocurrency to float on that network. So in my mind, and Dash have a, a system coming out this year called Dash Evolution, mm-hmm. which is really where they have taken much more consumer-centric um, user experience metrics and mm-hmm. married them with the traditionally quite unattractive cryptocurrency yeah. um, front ends, which are not pl- pretty to look at. Right. So with Dash, it's just they've really thought about how to make things easier for people that don't know anything about technology. Sure. And in my mind, that's always going to work well. Okay. If you take someone like Apple and, and their approach to smartphones, yeah. you'll understand you know, more or less why it's a good idea to make sure to worry about the user. So that's cryptocurrencies. I think we, mm. one of the, so one of the questions was the state of blockchain tech. Now we've used cryptocurrency as, the, as a basic understanding of the, how the technology works. Sure. So the, what is the state of blockchain tech in SA? And I think we were going to extend on to then other iterations of blockchain tech and how it can be used. Where does it currently stand in South Africa? Okay, so blockchain tech as it stands right now is a f- sort of a fad, if I can call it that. It's a very, and I'm going to use the word sexy because if you mention blockchain yeah. to any corporate, they all sit up and they're very interested to get into it. Okay. Um, I have not seen one extremely aggressive implementation of blockchain that isn't fintech orientated sure. or smart con- contract orientated so far. Gotcha. But there are companies out there, and we work with a few of them, mm-hmm. um, that are building blockchain-based technologies for the storage of data. Mm-hmm. So you can obviously imagine with the recent WannaCry ransomware yes. attack. Yeah. I mean, how do you mitigate your risk? How do you get backups in place that can you know, recover entire networks? Mm-hmm. How do you make sure that your data is not extremely vulnerable? And, and that is to reduce the surface attack area. Okay. So blockchain technology is a natural fit for data storage. Mm-hmm. And it, it works just as well as you'd imagine. You yeah, can it's distributed. Yeah. Just, just spread it across the, across the world and you've got yeah. your, your information stored on, okay. on the blockchain. Right. That being said, Microsoft's Azure network has some blockchain implementations available on it now that you can oh, really? spool okay. up immediately. Yeah. Wow. I would say Mark, between the, the three companies that are out there, and I don't know if I'm allowed to say the companies in particular, but uh, I haven't been shy up until now, so why not? <laughs> um, it, it's certainly AWS and that's yep. Amazon Web Services, yep. mm-hmm. um, Microsoft with their Azure Cloud and mm-hmm. Dimension Data with yep. what they call OneCloud. Okay. Those are the sort of three guys out there at the moment. And OneCloud is... Microsoft hadn't told them to change the name. Well, what OneCloud, yeah, 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 absolutely. I'm also quite surprised actually, but um, now, that, now that you mention it. Sure. Nevertheless, I'd say AWS or Amazon's mm-hmm. cloud has the best easy to use or most easy to use blockchain out of the box cloud-based implementation available. Okay. Um, they have nice things like Elasticsearch and mm-hmm. you can use many of their servers quite easily. Um, they've got great services, a great customer interface. Microsoft also have this, but Microsoft is much more corporate centric or business centric. With the offerings that Microsoft and uh, AWS are doing, does this mean that they're effectively supporting and supplying the nodes? Yes, exactly. So this is where the cloud meets the blockchain. So you can use blockchain technology and use all three of Mm -hmm. the cloud providers I've just mentioned and achieve a cloud agnostic solution. Absolutely. Wow. That's the idea. So you run the blockchain across all three and you've got servers everywhere and you're really not paying that much, honestly. 
Yeah. So you can, and you can do this with virtual servers from one cloud, you can do it with the actual blockchain protocol on, on Azure, and you can sure. integrate it with any of AWS's services and use a, a bot to communicate mm-hmm. with, your, with your users. Sure. All right, there's a big focus on fintech because people have now, you can't help but be influenced by the news that happens around sure. Bitcoin. $2,000 a cut. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And whatever, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's just reading this morning an article from uh, a Sydney newspaper where one of the journos who threw away a hard drive that's now worth about $4.7 million because he had... Bitcoin that he bought for a couple of hundred bucks early on, and now he's kicking himself. So I guess the sexy nature of, oh, blockchain, we want in into blockchain. Yeah, exactly. The idea of, so there's, there's a greater acceptance of it in South Africa, mostly around financial technological aspects. But we talk, you, your explanation around how it works, being that I'm an Excel freak, um, was really good. It's I'm going to liberally adopt it and use it myself. <laughs> when it comes to what else blockchain technology can be used, in effect, it's whatever information you could throw into a database or whatever information you could throw into an Excel spreadsheet, that's what you could use for blockchain going forward. Absolutely. Julian? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, sorry. So two cappuccinos and one black coffee. Oh, was it two? I was grabbing one as well. Does he know that? He'll know. Yeah, yeah, no, he does. He got it. That's cool. Did you only want black coffee? Yes. Okay, cool. That's fine. He'll work it out. Okay. We will get you. No, that's fine. Don't worry about it. Yeah, Franco, this is, yeah, you, it's now, it's now <laughs> next, level, next, next level difficulty there. It's fine, buddy. Oh shit, I don't even know how you're going to splice that back in. All right, let's give that a well, go. We can get a go again. Yeah, that's fine. Actually, Frank can leave all of that in. That's fine. <laughs> um, the, yeah, so anything that can be stored in a spreadsheet, anything that can be stored in a database is effectively something that tech, blockchain tech can be applied to. Absolutely. Right. But I mean, that's any data, actually. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it could be blob data, it could be anything, anything that you want to put into the blockchain, you could. Just the block size is the only limitation, really. Okay. So, database can store a lot more than just, you know, um, alphanumeric characters. Mm-hmm. There can be a lot more to it that you can attach. So, right. but in the name of transactability, you need to keep it light. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's where block size comes in. Right. It lends itself very nicely to transactional. Yeah. Uh, platforms, well, not platforms, uh, data. Well, you know, the yes and no. Um, the more you know, nodes there are, yes, absolutely. The better sure. the internet oh, quality, sure. Um, you know, ping time does actually make a difference with, with the sort of transaction-based network. Right. Um, so in terms of your question earlier, you know, let me just say that even in today's world, mm-hmm. most people don't have a clue what blockchain is. And when I say that, I mean, it's very easy for me to say, like, how can you not know about blockchain because I've been in it for a while. But mm-hmm. the reality is most of the meetings that I go to is it's, it's like I have to compress a four-hour-long explanation, which is already quick. This is why you have your elevator pitch. In, into, into 30 minutes. Sure. And it's, it's sometimes the guys walk out there and I swear I see them dabbing blood out their ears. Um, so <laughs> um, it really, it's not, it's not a, an easy thing to get your head around sure. um, when you come from a centralized world. Right. And we come from everything that's centralized. Mm-hmm. Centralized government, centralized banking, centralized where you live is centralized. You have a house that you go to every night. You know, mm-hmm. it's, there's a lot of value in doing 
you know, very complex, very high investments in one place. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the way the world has largely been built. Um, but with the blockchain, it's a fundamental shift in the way you look at things. Mm-hmm. Everything is everywhere. And you have to believe that that's, you know, something that you can trust. Even if a node goes down, yeah. the rest of the node should be able to pick up. Pick it up. The, the easiest way to explain this, and this is probably the easy, easiest explanation to, to any sort of um, geek out there, sure. is that it's like a huge torrent network mm-hmm. yep. with pieces of the file stored everywhere. And some, in some places, there's more of it than others, but all of them know what the true, <clears throat> excuse me, the true uh, table or database should look like. Sure. So there's no chance that you can have a problem where okay. there's fraudulent activity going on. <clears throat> there is one vulnerability, and I don't know if I should mention this. So it's, well, I was going to ask about the idea of security. The yeah. people who are not necessarily tech savvy, when you try to explain that, look, your connection to the bank it's not going to get hacked. The analogy that um, that I like to use is uh, from the movie Entrapment. You've seen, remember the one yeah. with Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta-Jones doing laser? Yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. But the idea of the, the robbery up front where she went through so much trouble to steal whatever it was that she stole, leaping off the side of the building, going through the window, dodging all of this <clears> stuff, <throat> and he robbed the post office. Yeah. He robbed the front end. So the easiest thing... To explain when it comes to getting your, oh, my banking was hacked. No. They put something at the end of the pipe. You're not going to break the pipe. The pipe is too secure. Sure. But if I throw something on the front there or something at the back end of the pipe, then I'm, then it's there. When it comes to the idea of WannaCry and the encryption of your hard drive, and now you have to pay, well, <laughs> Bitcoin topically, um, to unlock that, that blockchain technology from file distribution would be a really easy and re- really easy way around that sort of ransomware but security fraudulent transactions when it comes to and we might have to get a little bit more technical when it comes to blockchain tech that this is a hashed keygened transactional file so somebody it's unlikely but somebody needs to generate the other number on the, the other side of this transaction to equal it out. How difficult is that? Um, well, is that the security flaw you're going to? No, no, no. Oh, so, there's another one. Okay, cool. No, no, no. So, I mean, I think, I think that that's, that is incredibly difficult yeah. and extremely unlikely. Sure. I mean, it was, it was postulated that in the next 200 years, this wouldn't be um, likely to achieve with current day computing technology, even if there was a massive exponential increase in computational power, the, mm-hmm. the cipher is just, or the cryptography is just too complex. If we steroided Moore's law, it still wouldn't be enough. It wouldn't be enough. There is some possibility if you use mathematical equations to extrapolate the likelihood of having two outputs that equal the same thing is mm-hmm. there, but it's at such vast scale that by then we won't be using money. And hopefully. there's no point. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, that being said, you know, people also at one point, I think it was, a, I can't remember who it was, but there was a famous guy, I think he worked for Intel, who said, you'll never need more than one gig of hard drive space. And uh, yeah. that didn't work out for him. So yeah. that, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sticking by what this... Yeah. What, what Gates I've, made stupid comments. Yeah, there's, there's lots of yeah. ridiculous sort yeah. of tech. But, but I mean, anyway, so the generally accepted from mm-hmm. a cryptography perspective, mm-hmm. um, understanding is that it's extremely, extremely secure. Mm-hmm. Where I think there is a vulnerability in blockchain technology is that of the, or from that, of the layer one service providers. Okay. We're talking about the guys that put the fiber into the ground that the blockchain runs on top of. Right. Um, it's not to say that there isn't great security already and there are, aren't great um, 
you know, TCP IP protocols in place and mm -hmm. SSL certificates and every other type of security you can throw at it. But if you control the base foundation of data communication for an entire yeah. country, let's say, yeah. you could theoretically control what the nodes are communicating when they communicate with each other. So you could create an artificial consensus if you knew what you were doing. Mm -hmm. So if you control the cables, all That's of them. That's stunning. The ramifications of that. You have to have exact, yeah. So I mean, in a global network, it won't be a problem. Yeah. But, but in, a, in, a, in the context of a country, let's say, running their mm -hmm. own private blockchain, yeah. there could be a problem there. So there could actually, yeah, you could actually have, um, wow, the ramifications of that are very cool. I, <laughs> so the infrastructure, if say, let's say we take the state of uh, Jibberovia or something, uh, Jibberovia provides the infrastructure itself, the nodes live on that infrastructure, but Jibberovia has invested in, in uh, IT skills for its people, and it has established a system where it might even create, thank you very much, a fraudulent registry of nodal transactions. Absolutely. The, the likelihood of those sorts of resources to be able to do that, because that's going to mean, actually, it's the, the equivalent of, the digital equivalent of running two ledger books. Exactly. Yeah. It'll be a shadow so book. So the mob, I'm, yeah, I'm thinking the mob and the, and the shadow book. Oh, see, now that's a, that's a nice tattoo. That's better. Shadow book. Likelihood? Yeah, that's going to require some resources, access to the infrastructure. Well, let me but it's you, not inconceivable. Well, let me tell you why it's not inconceivable. Mm -hmm. because, because WannaCry happened. Um, and you would, right. need, you, would, you would need someone like the size of China to be able to pull this off. And it would require a small compromise of security protocols at all the ISPs around the world and a very insidious, mm -hmm. slow process. I mean, we've had environments where guys uh, working out of a call center in Nigeria have managed to hack a router and build a small little bot on there um, and, and have a, a silent network just waiting for the right opportunity to, to attack. And it was, mm -hmm. it was unbelievably sophisticated programming technology and, and understanding the likes of which I've not come across in any corporate environment. And all it was was to send an email about a prince who needed to get some money out of the country. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but we're like, yeah. these guys have done this. And what they actually wow. do is, and you were mentioning it earlier around security, it's either the front or the back. Sure. Um, the easiest way to break into someone's account is to copy their password. Mm -hmm. you know, so if you don't have a secure password, you're never going to have a secure account. Right. Doesn't matter what protocols are in place. Uh -huh. And the same is true for you know companies that don't safeguard their information. I mean, they put information on their websites about who the finance director is and what his email address is mm -hmm. and who the CEO is. And mm -hmm. we often find that whilst people can't break into our networks, they will spoof email addresses, mm -hmm. which means you know make it look like it's coming from that email address. Yeah. And instruct someone else in the company to make a payment. Um, where they've to a supplier for 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 argument's yes. sake, let's say it was an, an advertising agency for a corporation. Mm -hmm. This is actually one of the cases that we're working on, so I'll use it as real subject matter. Sure. Um, what happened is Acme Technology. They hacked the the advertising agency and figured out that they had a, a big client. Right. And once they knew who the client was, they just watched. They didn't do anything on the network. They just watched the information coming in and out. They copied documentation because obviously they had access to the email server. So mm -hmm. they were able to see uh, purchase orders and who was communicating with who. 
And once they had spent, it must have been about two or three months designing a big mm -hmm. organogram of, of the clients, they could build and create a network where, well, not a network, but an information set sure. where they could instruct the, so the chief financial officer mm -hmm. from the CEO mm -hmm. to make a multi-million rand payment to the advertising agency um, with, for, with, different, with different banking details. Exactly. And this actually happened. They and it pulled happened, it off. They did pull it off. And it actually does happen regularly. So that kind of fraudulent activity requires a large degree of skill, technical expertise, absolutely. Patience. Patience, sure. And resources. Mm -hmm. These guys wouldn't be doing it if they weren't making money. Mm -hmm. So coming back to the likelihood of there being a shadow book, mm. um, I think that a ledger that existed in environments that could be compromised is conceivable, mm -hmm. provided you had compromised enough sort of ISP nodes with a very silent bots and waited for the right opportunity to attack a financial institution or an entire financial system. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are enough guys with enough money and enough time on their hands to pull this off. Is it reasonable to assume that this will happen? It is unlikely because of how decentralized the, the network is as it stands now. Mm -hmm. But part of what, and this is just our own opinion, so don't, don't hold the gun to my head if this doesn't happen, but Part of what we've thought or envisaged for the future with blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies in, in you know, one sort of technology set um, is that you know, fiat currencies mm -hmm. have a, pay, a place in the world today. We have to do inflation-based targeting. We have to control import-export deficits. We have to make sure that um, there's enough money in the, the economy. We mm -hmm. need to know when to do quantitative easing. These are all roles that the Treasury Department and governments traditionally take in their economies. Yeah. If you remove that control from an environment, so let's say we were all transacting with Bitcoin right now, mm -hmm. how would you collect taxes as a government? Because you wouldn't be able to charge VAT, you wouldn't be able to know how much money there is, the price of your own currency would be fluctuating all the time. Because the treasury, the government, uh, the state has no role in the currency itself. Exactly. So, I mean, who's going to fix the roads? Who's going to pay the police? You know, there's a, there's a lot of things that come mm -hmm. with the, the nirvana of, you know, a, a Bitcoin universe mm -hmm. or yeah. a cryptocurrency complete transactional entity. Mm -hmm. um, that doesn't quite exist at the moment. And what we anticipate to happen is that countries will implement their own cryptographic currencies okay. on the blockchain. So what that means, and you'll see how this comes back to your original question, is that they will have to put a private blockchain in place yes. that just runs their coin. Mm -hmm. and, and now then, I'm thinking that if you could have somebody spoof that, that would be fantastic. You could annihilate an entire country's economy overnight if you had control over their layer one providers. Uh, let me backtrack on the word fantastic, because if this ever gets entered <laughs> into evidence for anything, uh, that would be a terrible thing, right? That would be an utterly, utterly, utterly terrible thing. It looks and, terrible. Be, and nobody endorses it. It'd be a great story, but my <laughs> Lord. Wow. So, I mean, it, it takes economic warfare. And, and mm. warfare, I mean, if you consider that most countries that don't want to engage in full-scale military um, uh, conflict will yeah. impose sanctions and the like. Um, this would just be a bloodless way of destroying a country. Mm -hmm. And it would really be just to, to compromise the entire blockchain of that, of that country's network. And I mean, yes, what I'm talking about is no small technical feats, mm -hmm. but it is conceivable. The idea of layering on top of the blockchain, mining of a Bitcoin, that's, that's how you, uh, you were talking about... Um, the absolutely disgusting method by which people used 
video cards for graphics cards. For. <laughs> well, <laughs> sacrilegious. <laughs> uh, you have to effectively mine the currency. What it's doing is actually doing mathematical calculations to try and resolve the number, and that's the that's the currency. And you were talking about um, protein folding. Yeah. That uh, ridiculous universities with massive endowments get to get to play with. We're talking about NASA and SETI. The search for extraterrestrial life. Uh, if you have a state create its own blockchain or, or an organization create its own blockchain for anything, what sort of analytics, because I'm, I'm an analytics guy, which is why the Excel, uh, what sort of things can you layer on top of the blockchain then to start extending your analytics what sort of inf I guess it really depends on what sort of information is in there you can start doing analytics from any angle it just depends on what information is in there absolutely the sky is honestly the limits right. um, you'd be able to draw gigantic the notion of big data would be uh -huh. underwhelming or, or understating yeah. what you'd be able to draw conclusions yeah. from, sure. I just spent 60 seconds on a stupid question that I answered myself. Thank you very much, Brad. That was... <laughs> it's a... Okay. Uh, where do you see... Do you see any particular position that South Africa can take a leap from blockchain tech? Absolutely. In its current environment? Sure. Um, I think that South Africa is one of the most leading edge countries considering our size and what I mean by size is simply the sort of people engaging in online trading I mean I think we right. were 10th internationally for cryptocurrency trading really I believe so no. ninth we were ninth is there any oh, sorry continue because then I'll have, I'll, have, I'll have a question about that go ahead sorry. sure um, South Africans generally tend to have quite a People refer to it as a cowboy syndrome, but um, <laughs> you know we, we're keen to make a quick buck where possible, sure. and and you know any amount of work and and we're outcomes based, right. and you know you you've got to do what it takes, and sure. So South Africans have this inherent succeed, mm -hmm. um, you know, sort of methodology or psychology, and mm -hmm. as a result, but cryptocurrency mining was a logical way for you know South Africans to participate in this huge oh. tech boom. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting, a lot of people in South Africa are very tech-savvy. Tech mm -hmm. Not to say that other countries aren't, it's just there are a lot of guys playing, well, from what we've seen, a lot of people on the cryptocurrency exchanges. Mm -hmm. um, and that's interesting, mm. in, in, in isolation anyway, and you can ask your question about that. But sure. So, you know, where does tech, South Africa, where can it benefit from, from mm -hmm. and where can South Africa take a leap? Well, South Africa is the gateway to Africa. Yeah. So everything that happens in Africa, we can originate or safely say South Africa has a, has a role to play in that. Mm -hmm. So we can have huge, and one of the things that I'd love to see here is we would be, is that South Africa would be mining all the different coins from South Africa. Because mm -hmm. what we would technically be doing um, using blockchain in this way is we'd be creating an export of currency in our own country. People would have to buy those coins from us on exchanges and we'd be effectively exporting their own currencies. This is if currents, if countries, as, as you mentioned earlier, decided to create their own cryptocurrencies. It is indeed. So uh -huh. there are some, some circumstances where um, countries have declared Bitcoin illegal. Yep. Um, there are some places where they've embraced it completely and charged mm -hmm. a premium and said you have to pay tax. 
Um, and which you know, best of luck. Yeah, really good luck with that. Yeah. Um, like I suppose if they had to have enough money to investigate all the transactions that eventually get there, but I mean that's a big feat. In well, itself. if you've decided as a business to legitimize the receipt of payments, then I guess yes. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, but but the reality is that there are a lot of countries that haven't even thought about this mm-hmm. yet um, and aren't even looking at it. But so I mean, we've we've looked at a, a cryptocurrency called um, Gollum, which is mm-hmm. an interesting coin, but we won't go into the details. The point is that you know people are starting to use it around the world. Um, it's one of the coins that we like, and if we had to mine that, is that coin, Gollum, Gollum, yes, based on like the mythical creature, yes, absolutely. Um, it's actually my dear compatriot here who's very silent on this podcast's um, interest at the moment, and she likes Gollum as a coin, so she's made a bit of an investment there. Awesome. Um, Anyway, the, the point is that, you know, if you're mining coins, it doesn't matter whether other countries have accepted them or not, as long mm-hmm. as other countries' citizens are buying them, yeah. you're exporting those coins. Mm-hmm. So in a nutshell, what you're technically doing is taking nice computers, defiling them with computational tasks to, that, that require their graphics cards to produce a coin, mm-hmm. if you're not using an ASIC miner, yeah. um, and you're selling that result mm-hmm. to another country in their foreign exchange. So you're creating demand for your own currency, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. You're, you're increasing this, the export of your own country's products. Mm. You're basically selling electricity, if we're honest. I mean, it's yet to, yet to buy. There's a bit of an, a capital expenditure cost up front for the mining equipment. Yeah. But the rest of it is all the energy that you're selling. Mm-hmm. And in a country like South Africa, where we have great sunshine and relatively low energy costs. Nuclear is the answer, of course. I mean, if we, if we <laughs> absolutely, I mean, sure. sure. Yeah, yeah, no, that was quite a thing, but um, <laughs> like really, but, but, but the reality is certainly that uh-huh. you could take a natural resource as abundant as energy mm-hmm. and turn it into an exportable commodity that's in extreme demand right now. And if I was a government official mm-hmm. involved in any way in treasury or anything like that, I'd mm-hmm. be building flipping massive hydroelectric dams just for crypto coin mining so that I could export the rest of the world's currency as quickly as possible. Are there any other countries taking that approach? I don't know if there's countries in particular, but there are places like, I mean, if you look at Ireland, yeah. um, there they've got some of, some of the mm-hmm. best um, Bitcoin mining equipment and, and uh, most ad- advanced fintech companies are mm-hmm. based there. There they've sort of quite quickly figured out that, you know, renewable energy is a way to generate money from nothing. So they've literally capped a hot spring geezer. And it turns a turbine, which powers their Bitcoin miners and they manufacture money. And I mean, that is turning gas into cash. Now, if you... If, if I can just recap that to make sure I understand it. Because you've got the ability to har- harvest energy uh, from hydroelectrics, from springs, etc., the power generated by that harnessing is actually used to power the mining processes of the currency, but you're not gonna use all of that power, I would imagine. So not only are you actually creating commodity that you can then trade, you're also creating a mining process to, that's, that's, that's it? That's it. That's it. That's it. It gets, let me, let me tell you how crazy it is. Now, people don't know that you can accept Bitcoin in many different places. That was a question I wanted to ask, is in relation to that, that a currency is only as good yeah. as what you can do with it. Sure. So let's take, um, we're also involved, Vortex is involved in mm-hmm. pyrolysis, which is the, the method of, con- of, of extracting energy from materials like tires and sure. things like that. Um, it's a very clever technology, I must admit. But nevertheless, mm-hmm. what, what we 
you know, proposed was that someone could go into the middle of a forest where there's, let's just say, a small coal reserve or a mm-hmm. rubbish dump for that matter. Mm-hmm. They could build a pyrolysis plant, get a container full of servers attached to that, and a satellite dish communicating to the rest of the world and build a huge wall around themselves. Mm-hmm. And they would have absolutely no requirements for any government or any interaction from the outside world whatsoever. Because they'd be power sufficient, or, currency sufficient. Or they'd be currency sufficient, power sufficient. They could literally have whatever they need to survive helicoptered into their compound. Because they're currency sufficient. And they could buy the best security to patrol the perimeter and they could declare themselves at the Hague as their own little country if they wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's absolutely nothing that anybody could do about that. Ah, see, that's the way Orania should be moving. <laughs> How, <laughs> all right, throw, there, there are going to be somebody, there are going to be some people, because you did mention that South Africa is full of cowboys and cowgirls and cow others. Uh, the idea of, oh, this seems fun, let me get in on it. Yeah. What level of commitment would a person need to have from, uh, from a financial, from a resources perspective? A, to get started, then B, to really do something meaningful from a... And I know meaningful is going to determine, like, if you're a billionaire, then meaningful has a different term. Sure. Taking it from the, the layman, what would you need from a resource commitment to actually make this profitable from a layman's perspective? Okay. Well, I mean, there are a number of, number of avenues you can pursue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that probably the, the most likely question that will be on the tip of people's tongues is around the mining because it's a quick win. Mm. Um, and, you know, there are other ways of making money just off the blockchain itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of getting involved with the, the sort of what the commitment financially would be, it, in my mind, it would be as low as two rand, which in realistic terms is about 200 rand, in my opinion. Sure. If you want to play with something and, and be able to gauge your return, I would probably start with one of the local Bitcoin exchanges. Uh-huh. There's one called uh, Luno. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. Luno. L-U? L-U-N-O dot com. Mm-hmm. There's also Ice3. I think those are the two in South Africa at the moment. Ice3X. So, which is kind of like ice three meaning ice cubed and then an X, so ice cubed X, X I suppose is what they were going for. But gotcha. those are the two exchanges. The, the Luno is not bad, although they have some interesting fees and unusual pricing every now and again. Um, but you can get into cryptocurrency trading mm-hmm. through, through Luno first. You can buy a very small fraction of a Bitcoin and you can play the market and buy and sell as you wish. Sure. Um, and Understanding that there are plenty of cryptocurrencies. There are, there's only one on Luna, which is oh, sorry, Bitcoin. Okay. Yeah. And then the same is true for um, Ice3x. There's also a limited amounts of cryptocurrencies there. Mm-hmm. You have to then buy a Bitcoin from there and put it onto another exchange in another country. Mm-hmm. And then you can play the other coins sure. using Bitcoin as your primary funding model. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, but in terms of people here who want to get into it, the, the easiest way to do that is one of the lo- with one of the local websites, mm-hmm. a small amount of money. And you know some reasonable degree of, of ability to read a, mm-hmm. a, a graph and sure. um, sort of analyze the markets. Mm-hmm. So that's from a a, uh, a, a speculative yeah. perspective. If you wanted to throw down, wow, your own solar farm. The idea of the idea of mining. Yeah. Okay. What would be your what would you recommend as an absolute minimum? As in, this isn't even worth your time until you can contribute or be part of a contribution that generates X? What would you say to that? Okay, it's a difficult question to answer because right now there's a global shortage of ASIC CPUs. 
Ah. So getting into mining is difficult right now because everybody wants to get into it. Sure. Last year, mining had a return on investment or a payback period where you had paid off the mining equipment mm -hmm. after 12 months. That turned into less than a month this year when cryptocurrencies started exploding. ROI of less than 30 days. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if you invested 50,000 Rand in Ethereum in January, you took out a million Rand now. So those are... Those are what, less than 18 months? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 been, it's been an incredible sort of explosion. I am, I am in the wrong job. A lot, a lot of people think this, and it, it's true, there's huge money to be made, but there is huge risk. Sure. These things are not underpinned by anything. And yeah. They're driven by global demand at this stage. And it's a speculative boom. It's properly insane. This is why <laughs> cowboys and cowgirls need only apply, because <laughs> it's, right. it's, it's, it's up one minute, it's down the next, mm -hmm. and you have to have nerves of steel mm -hmm. to get through a day of trading in any sort of right. volatile market. And it's not like traditional asset management trading it's mm -hmm. this is this is much more volatile than that right um mm -hmm. but yes yeah, so if you wanted to get into mining in particular presuming that you could actually get mm -hmm. the asset mining the the way to do this would be to buy an asset miner mm -hmm. configure it for the blockchain which comes with a little piece of firmware mm -hmm. um, and you can set it up for whichever blockchain whichever coin and you mm -hmm. must be very cautious about which miner you buy because they are purpose-built sure asset cpus being purpose-built cpus as opposed to general purpose cpus like mm -hmm. you find in a normal laptop which can do pretty much anything yeah um and anyway so you choose the miner that you want and the coin that you want to mine Plug mm -hmm. it into your wall. The big cost that people don't quantify is the cost of electricity. Yeah. That's really what you have to work out. Mm -hmm. And it does reach a point where the coins become so complicated to calculate mm -hmm. that the cost of electricity exceeds the value of doing so. Right. So then, I mean, you're still going to pay off the initial outlay for the hardware, which mm -hmm. is somewhere, I think, an ant miner for Bitcoin, and I'm using the most expensive here, is around $2,000 itself. Sure. So you're in for 30, 40 odd grand. Um, by the time it's landed and import duties have been paid mm -hmm. and you know, you're going to mine a fraction of a Bitcoin that's going to take you 12 months, sure. even longer to recover your return on investments. And if that is the case and something happens to the Bitcoin market between now and your, your investment horizon, you're um, sunk. You're sunk, yeah, and mm -hmm. you've lost your money. But if you look at the historical mm -hmm. value behind these things, this has not been the case for anyone that got involved. And by the way, your earlier mention of that guy's hard drive that disappeared where you had a whole lot yes. of Bitcoin. They say as much as 20% of Bitcoin is lost. Wow. As in people just didn't realize it was important, so they bought some and then they just sat on it and they lost the keys and they didn't care. Yeah, it, so hurts, it hurts my brain. They, they, throw, they, throw, they throw a lot of money away. Wow. But, but so the reality is, I would say that if, if one was to take mining seriously, I would look at one of the altcoins, not Bitcoin. Sure. I'd look at one of the coins that isn't quite where it should be right now. Yeah. I would start mining that. I would buy mm -hmm. a fit-for-purpose mining um, piece of equipment for that. Okay. So one, let's just say it's Gollum, for example. Mm -hmm. um, I'd buy a Gollum miner, I'd plug sure. it into my house, and I would start mining Gollum, and I would transfer mm -hmm. it to my wallet, and I would put it on an exchange and see if I could sell it. Okay. Brad, thank you so much. We've actually just gone over the hour. Thank you so much. That was so much right now. I have so many more questions, but we can do another one of these yeah, if sure. you're okay with that. With pleasure. What we like to do is we like to finish off our podcast with our guest providing some pearl of wisdom, some lesson that they've learned. Now, your lesson could already be don't use graphics cards for mining, but um, <laughs> if we went somewhere else, what would you suggest to any geeks out there who might be thinking of doing their own thing uh, wanting to be a bit of a cowboy or cowgirl or cow other, as the case may be, what would uh, what would be your advice to them? That's a good question. Thanks. Sure. 
You know, I have a lot of friends that, you know, are all what we, most people would classify as geeks. Mm -hmm. We all play computer games on weekends yeah. and I mean, like, we play Overwatch competitively at this stage. Ah, nice. Um, Good. I think the risk of being a geek is that you often end up becoming very operationally bound mm -hmm. and start thinking that if you are a SQL developer, then all you can do is develop SQL. Right. I would say to any geek out there, there is absolutely nothing stopping you from taking on the world as a CEO, a salesman, or mm -hmm. as an operations person. Okay. Um, and really, just do it. Don't, don't worry about it. Just, just get into it. Just do it. Okay. Brad, thank you so much for your time. Pleasure, thank you. Lovely. Shaffa, free! That was Release the Geek, the official podcast of Geek XP. What the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in rut and command here. To contact the show, you can email us at releasethegeek, one word, at geekxp.co.za. Thanks for listening. I'll be back. Mm -hmm.